Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, here I was like some kind of jerk, thinking I could roll into the Monday after the new year and have games start at a normal time. I was obviously sorely mistaken. Games are not starting at a normal time. And as I begin recording this podcast, the Knicks are already beaten up on the lately hapless Suns. Go figure. Happy New Year, everybody. That's the way I actually wanted to start this show. I didn't want to have to talk about how this thing's coming out after stupid lineup lock. It was really annoying. I There was just no way that it was going to get done earlier. Kids are still on break. It's a national holiday. And yet, it's a Monday. We all had New Year's Day yesterday. That's the recovery day. I get it. Everybody loves a good day off. Uh, but come on. You really didn't have to do this, Knicks. You didn't have to throw this game. I love day basketball, day baseball. I love it. But not on lineup lock Monday. That's the one time you can't be doing this crap to us. But they did it, and so now we're stuck with it. So I say again, hi, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2023. We embark upon another calendar year here on Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespris, and I am extraordinarily grateful for another amazing year in the books. And I have you guys, everybody listening to the pod, to thank for making that all come true. You continue to listen to Fantasy NBA Today. You continue to make it a a viable show in the grand, I don't even know, grand layout of fantasy podcasts, which is such a, a niche thing to begin, to begin with, and yet here we are. So let's make 2023 even better. And we'll start that with a reverse chronological lightning round that, you know what, we can probably dodge some of the Phoenix, New York stuff because we already have new information on those two teams. One of the big pieces being that Landry Shamit made his return for Phoenix today after missing last week with a sore Achilles. Suns are fully cooked in a ball game that just started. Well, maybe they'll wage some kind of comeback. I guess we'll see, but probably not. Uh, and, you know, they're in rust mode. It's the weird early game. Nobody was really ready to go. But it does feel like Landry Shamit is in a pretty good place, at least when it comes to what kind of opportunity he's going to have before Cam Johnson comes back. And then presumably Devin Booker not too far after that. I guess we'll wait and see, though. Suns are kind of in free fall right now. But let's start with the three-game Sunday. We'll work our way backwards through the weekend. We'll try to make sure we tie it into anything that's happening in this ball game on Monday morning. Monday midday, morning's not really fair. That's that's like trying to give myself too much credit on actually getting this show out, uh, which it does not deserve. But the late game on Sunday night, Milwaukee ran their B squad out there. No Drew Holiday, no Chris Middleton, no Giannis Antetokounmpo. And again, it didn't really matter much for the fill-in guys. They're just like, first of all, Washington's been playing much better defensively, mostly since they put Daniel Gafford in the mix. And don't worry, we're going to get to the Daniel Gafford respect hour here on the podcast in a second but if you're looking over at the Milwaukee side Bobby Portis he's always a, a solid option but he's started anyway so it sort of doesn't really matter and then if you look at the other guys like Grayson Allen who did have eight assists as kind of the fill-in point guard Javon Carter he had a few games earlier this year where he was pretty good Pat Connaughton not super trustworthy these days 
all of those guys had fine ball games. Allen's maybe a little bit better than fine if you want to attach a different name to it. The eight assists, the thing that kind of raised that value up a little bit higher. But it, it doesn't matter. Giannis is going to be back for the next one. He's going to render all of these bad points for fairly meaningless. But if there is ever a moment down the line where all three of those guys are out at the same time, Grayson Allen's probably the direction you go, at least among the guys that are not actively rostered right now. Maybe the biggest piece of news from the whole weekend is that Daniel Gafford continues to absolutely dunk on everyone. And I am thrilled because... You know how I can always tell if we're ahead of or behind the curve on particular players? It's whether or not we, I have a lot of a particular guy on my fantasy teams. And I have a whole bunch of Daniel Gaffords. I got him in like 50% of the leagues I'm in, which is pretty much... I mean, that's not like code for we were getting out in front of it, but that means that we were pretty early on Gafford. And he's been incredible. Last three games in particular, as soon as we saw that 25-minute game, it was absolutely time to take the plunge. And his last two, uh, averaging 14 points, six rebounds, two assists, half a steal, two and a half blocks, 26 minutes, 28 minutes. Yes, maybe that does come down as Beal comes back because it just sort of pushes everyone into a different bucket. Uh, but Daniel Gafford in mid-20s and minutes is a must-start fantasy play. And the Wizards have, as a team, looked a whole heck of a lot better with him as a bigger part of what they're doing. Washington now has won five games in a row. They're the 10 seed. They've pushed the Bulls. They've tied them now. Uh, but by because they've played two additional games and they've, they've split them, they actually have an ever so slightly better winning percentage than Chicago. Not that it really matters. The you know number of games is all going to even out at the end of this thing. But Wizards are currently in a play-in spot in the East. And... I, think, I really think you can put a lot of that on Gafford. Defensively, he's just changed what they're able to do, and Porzingis is not guarding the rim. Gafford still can do it. Rui Hachimura has also been helpful for the Wiz. I don't want to take too much credit away. He's been an excellent offensive option for them that they didn't have earlier this year. Uh, but again, you know, a lot of that is like he's he's filling in offensively for Bradley Beal. He's getting more shots. I think Rui profiles more as a points league type of dude. You're going to see him get added in a whole bunch of nine-cat leagues, and then Beal's going to come back. His role's going to shrink, and he doesn't do much besides score. So I'm not that high on Hachimura in nine-cat. I like Denny Avdia as your Beal fill-in in nine-cat leagues, uh, but I'm guessing Beal's going to be back in the next couple of ball games. So this is, again, it's one of those situations we talk about. It's a lot of work for not a whole lot of payoff. Gafford is a guy, at least for now, and we don't know what the rest of this season is going to bring, but right now he's in, he's he's fully in on whatever they're doing in Washington. And as long as it continues to work like this, the fear, of course, is what if they go on a losing streak? Is he the guy that immediately gets sort of rethought? Because you're not going to move Porzingis, you're not going to move Monte Morris or Kuzma. He's not going to get pump, punched out. I mean, I guess Morris could get moved if they decided they want to go to a bigger lineup, but. I don't know. Avdia came off the bench in this one. Corey Kispert still starting. There just aren't that many things that they could do that they haven't already tried. And right now the Gafford thing is working. That's the important part. So if you didn't add him last week when we told you to three or four different days, do it now. Denver beat Boston. That's a nice win for the Nuggets. That's the top two teams, actually. Well, not top two teams, but the leader in each 
uh, conference. Boston, the leader in the Eastern Conference, 26 and 11 now on the year. Denver, leaders in the West at 24 and 12. Now, typically, Denver a lot better at home. No surprise there. They are slightly above 500 on the road, but 14 and 3 in their own arena. Celtics are 11 and 6 on the roads. So they've been very good away from home. Uh, but this is just Jokic showing off. He was showing off. Denver shot 57%, and that's just Jokic getting everybody wide open every damn time. It's crazy. Jamal Murray sat this one out. I don't expect it to be a long-term thing. They're going to be pretty careful with him, especially as they they do have a good record to sit back on. But, you know, good game out of Michael Porter Jr. Bruce Brown continues to be the option when one guy is out. KCP continues to be an option only when everybody is in somehow. It continues. On the Boston side, only 19 minutes for the Time Lord. I'm not really concerned. I would... It's weird. I, I'm disappointed but I'm not concerned. I'm disappointed because I thought by now you'd be seeing you know, 22 or something like that, more consistently like 22 minutes per game because he came back two weeks ago now, and he's pretty much been locked at, he was 18 minutes the first two games and 22. Then he sat one out with a cold. He played through an illness in this ball game, so perhaps that had something to do with it. After back-to-back games where he was at 21 minutes, uh, but I'd love to see him get up to 22, 23 a little bit more consistently at this point, if only because when he gets to 23, 24, every one minute for Robert Williams is just so huge from a fantasy standpoint. He's a Goliath. He's already inside the top 85 in 19 minutes per ball game, so everything over that is just gravy. So I'm not going to complain about top 85. I just I wanted more quicker. <laughs> That's not whatever. Doesn't matter. No one can fault me for wanting a little bit more. Uh, Al Horford still played 30 minutes. Everybody's like, well, what a huge... I mean, if you drafted Al Horford for his scoring, you've done it wrong. Whatever. Uh, Memphis beat up on Sacramento, 118-108. This is one of those weird games where Tyus Jones just kind of got loose. I wouldn't expect this on a consistent basis. John Conchar filled in for Desmond Bain on the back-to-back, and you don't have anything to worry about there. Conchar... Even when he does fill in, there's there's no guarantee that he's going to post value. It's just a good matchup. Sacramento likes to play fast, so there's a whole bunch of extra possessions. Memphis actually got 100 field goal attempts and 24 free throws in this game. I would argue they actually kind of underperformed a little bit based on how many chances they had to score. I thought for sure they'd get into the 120s, but nope. And then on the Sacramento side, there's really hasn't been anything since the De'Aaron Fox sell-high wreck in, like, the third week of the season. This team has been extremely predictable for the last eight weeks in a row, and that's the way it was here, too. So, whatever. Um, those are the three games from Sunday. See if Glance back at the scoreboard and see if Phoenix has any shot. No, they don't appear to have any shot. Yikes. Oh, dear. We don't need to get into that anymore, do we? Miami went on the road, beat Utah. Tight ball game. Heat are winning some close ones all of a sudden. They've been playing a little bit better here over the last two, two and a half weeks after kind of a rough stretch. Heat are now up to the seven seed in the Eastern Conference, just one back of the Pacers from getting out of the play-in tournament. Miami now 7-3 and three in their last 10 ball games as well. And they were able to win this one without Jimmy Butler resting the back-to-back because Victor Oladipo had one of his crazy throwback games. 23 points, 5 boards, 5 assists, 3 steals, 4 three-pointers. 
Victor went nuts, and this is why, you know, two weeks ago on the pod, we were like, we got to keep an eye on Oladipo, and then he was bad for two weeks. And so I don't really feel bad about on Friday saying that you kind of can't really roster him because even when Butler's out, it's not a guarantee that he's going to go out there and take 15 shots. Sometimes Max Struess takes 15, sometimes Caleb Martin, who sat this one out, sometimes Kyle Lowry. It's really hard to know who on the Heat is going to be the fill-in guy when Jimmy Butler takes a rest day. In this one, and again, competition level has to be considered. Utah is another team that doesn't play defense. They go full offense. That's good for everybody's fantasy values involved. And that's part of why Oladipo and Bam and Hero and Struess, these guys were all able to post pretty good fantasy lines. He'd had 32 assists in this ball game, so they were just cooking. And I loved what Oladipo was able to do. I, I had him in a head-to-head league, just sort of like a dangling player that I didn't have a, the move to unload, and he had a game on Sunday or Saturday, so I just let it ride. Uh, I just don't see how you can add Oladipo and expect him to do this nightly. And then in terms of scheduling stuff, we talked about this on the show before, he's not playing back-to-backs. So you're really your only time to use a guy like Oladipo is if he's like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday on a four-game week. That's where he would maybe make some sense. Four games in seven days because you're not going to get anything better than that out of him this year. And then on the Roto side, you're picking your spots and you're just hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. Utah, relatively predictable, although Colin Sexton got hurt again. Um, so this may give Malik Beasley enough wiggle room to get back into the injury board replacement conversation. The bigger news, I thought, out of this game, because I don't really care that much about Beasley. I don't think he's that great of a replacement. He's pretty much three-pointers only. Was Walker Kessler logging 30 minutes in this ball game? That's a lot of Walker Kessler. He was a plus eight in a game the Jazz lost by three. That's a really good sign for the young fella. Jared Vanderbilt was a minus 12. Is the guard about to change in Utah? Probably not. But the Jazz have come back to earth. They're 19 and 20. They've lost four games in a row. Four and six in their last 10. Bad on the road. Hanging on to the last play-in spot out west, which... Unfortunately, for those of us that have a whole bunch of Mike Conley's and Kelly Olynyk's that are sort of hanging around on the roster, and we thought, oh, we'll get like half a season out of these guys, they got off to a good start, and I started to think, eh, maybe we'll get more than half a season out of these guys, and now I'm starting to think, eh, maybe it really is going to be about half a season out of these guys. But ride it out, see how far it goes. The Jazz might be inclined to change some stuff around because Vanderbilt and Kessler are kind of interchangeable in that they're the one player that the Jazz are willing to use at any given moment that doesn't stretch the floor. Everybody else on the team can shoot. Kelly Olenek can shoot and pass. Everybody else can shoot and pass. And then they'll have one guy out there for defense and rebounding. And if that's not Vanderbilt, then that could be Kessler. And those guys are pretty much handling the center minutes at this point. Yes, you can move Olenek around. You could remove both of those guys if you wanted to. But Kessler, 12 points and three blocks in this one. And the only thing you look at, you're like, well, he probably could have made three out of six shots instead of two out of six. But that's a lot to like. And in 30 minutes a game, he'll block a ton of shots. 
New Orleans lost in Memphis. This is a blowout. I don't want to read too much into it. Still no Larry Nance, so JV has a little bit more wiggle room, although he fouled out in 22 minutes. Trey Murphy continues to be a reasonable fill-in for Brandon Ingram. Herb Jones came back, and he is also a fill-in for Brandon Ingram. And you're like, Dan, how can two guys be a fill-in for the same dude? Well, it's about usage. It's not necessarily about playing time, because when Ingram comes back, Jones likely stays in the starting lineup anyway, but all of these guys lose a bunch of touches. Will Ingram ever, ever come back is another reasonable question. And the answer to that is, I haven't a clue. They just keep ruling him out for two games at a time, and I honestly don't know. Pelicans have been good. They're the three seed in the West. They're tied with the Grizzlies, I guess I should say, for the two. Uh, and so, again, they, you know, they have some wiggle room. They don't have to rush him back. They're not in jeopardy of missing the playoffs or anything like that. But also, where the hell is Ingram? He's been out for a month and change now with a sore toe, and there's just no indication of where he might resurface. Oh, well. Blowout game, so don't read too much into the box score on either side, but that's what's going on with each of those two teams. Philly beat Oklahoma City on the road. Sixers uh, quietly have actually put together a pretty good run here. They've had a home-heavy schedule, and that's going to even out, so we'll see how they look when it does. But they're four games back at the Celtics. They're in very solid position, three games up on the play-in tournament. And they're 8-2 and two in their last 10, which is only bested by the streaking Nets, who are a perfect 10-0. and 0. And really, overall, with Philly, you kind of have to like the way they've been playing. Defensively, they've been very good. They didn't take this Oklahoma City team lightly. You can see they clamped down on Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And a lot of that, by the way, DeAnthony Melton, again... Just destroying people. Plus 27. That was the team high for Melton. 17.7 boards, 5 assists, 3 steals, 2 blocks, 3 three-pointers. We've talked about how unbelievably versatile that dude is. And yes, Tyrese Maxey's going to slowly cut into his playing time, but Melton's going to find a way. I know the Grizzlies are doing fine, but losing Melton was... Ah, they'll just plug in the next guy. Melton's better than the next guy. He's number 43 per game this year, DeAnthony Melton is. And so, yes, will there be a, a, a step back? Yeah, but you really think he's going to fall like 60 slots? I don't. You got to hold. Just be pragmatic about it. I don't even know why I need to bring it up. You guys know where we stand on this dude, so let's just keep chugging. Oklahoma City, I, I promised you all time and again, that I wouldn't be suckered back into the OKC roulette wheel. But with Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Alexei Pokushevsky each out medium term, it does kind of feel like there's enough usage now for Jalen Williams to get onto radars. I don't know that it's a guaranteed win, but I also don't want to just ignore it and pretend like it's not happening. I think there's probably... It's the same thing I said on Thursday and Friday show last week. I think there's probably enough to make a case to add Jalen Williams. I haven't really bothered, mostly because I'm at this point here where I don't, I don't care if I miss a Jalen Williams okay run because it's just not going to be that great anyway. He might be good. He might be fine for this little stretch. But it's not going to be like a league-winning burst from him. So, meh, either way. But also, yeah, he's probably good enough to add. 
Detroit beat Minnesota on the road, and everybody's been asking me what the hell happened to Jalen Duran. Well, he picked up four fouls in, like, record time, and the units that he was a part of on the floor were just bad. The starting unit was bad. They had to mix and match a little bit. Marvin Bagley, Hamadou Diallo, Corey Joseph, these guys were on the floor when Detroit made their big runs, and so Dwayne Casey said, you know what, screw it, I'm going to let our guys win a game finally. Because the Pistons have the worst record in the NBA. And so, like, accidentally winning one is not the end of the world. So they did. But I don't think it's going to change the starting lineups. We'll see, I guess, but I don't think so. Minnesota. uh, Kyle Anderson ramped up to 34 and a half minutes. He is an ad once again while uh, Carl Anthony Towns is out. A full-strength slow-mo is a top 80 nine-cat guy. He's not going to score very much, but he can be good in both percentages, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. And he actually hit two three-pointers in this one, but don't get used to that. Nas Reed is the other story with this team. He still played 24 minutes, uh, despite Rudy Gobert being around, although Gobert did have some foul issues in the first half of this game, and then I don't think picked up any after the break, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. Saturday does feel like a long time ago now. It's hard for me to suggest a drop on Reed, even though we know his minutes are about to nosedive, but he really only needs about 21-22 to be fantasy successful. So I would say hang on a little bit longer. And it's probably not that hard to convince you of it, because this is a pretty good line. And the only reason to drop him would be like kind of a pre-drop type of idea. And I don't feel like that's entirely necessary. I'd rather just see this through and see what happens. Brooklyn blew out Charlotte. Royce O'Neal has quietly had a slightly better week and a half, but mostly it's because he's been hitting all of his three-pointers. He went five for seven, yeah, from the floor in this game, five for seven. Four of those were three-pointers. When the So the good runs right now, and there's a problem with O'Neal. The, the steals and blocks have largely fallen off. The assists were better in this one, but those have largely fallen off as well as the Nets have gotten healthy. And so now the good stretch, at the beginning of the year, the good stretch for Royce was top 50, the bad was like top 125, and he leveled off near top 70. Now the good is top 80, top 90, the bad is top like 180, 190, and so he levels off more in that schedule stream zone, and so that's why I don't think you need to start him every day. Kind of a similar story with TJ Warren. He's still kind of working on getting his legs underneath him. I do like the combination of points boards and percentages that he can bring with some steals and threes mixed in but they don't need it because Brooklyn is destroying people Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are just romping through the NBA right now not to mention Nick Claxton's defense but just in terms of like who needs to go take a shot TJ Warren's a guy you put out on the floor when you go need somebody to get you a bucket that team doesn't really need another bucket getter they needed defense and cohesion, and that's been mostly guys like Claxton and O'Neal and Watanabe. And Warren's fine. I like TJ Warren. I think I'm going to continue to keep an eye on him, but he's not a guy that you need to be sitting on, at least not here in the, in the immediate sense. Friends, you've heard me talk about how important it is to have your VPN protect your online privacy, but choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I like to do my research on sponsors, and I only recommend brands to my listeners that I believe in and actively use. And I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. Let me give you a couple reasons why. One, ExpressVPN doesn't log your activity. 
lots of cheap or free clunker VPNs. They make your money by selling your data to advertisers. So that you like you get nailed by the thing you're trying to avoid anyway. But ExpressVPN doesn't do that. They even developed a technology they call Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. Wipes itself. And number two, speed. ExpressVPN uses Lightway, a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. I've tried a bunch of VPNs in the past, and sometimes they do slow the connection down because they're you know, chunking away trying to protect you and all that stuff. But ExpressVPN is always blazing fast. It lets me stream my videos in HD quality with zero additional buffering over whatever Spectrum's already hitting me with over here. And number three, the last thing that really sets them apart is just how easy ExpressVPN is to use. And this one might be the most important one. You need zero technical skills because a lot of people hear VPN and they're like, oh no, but you don't need to. You install it, you fire, you turn on the app and you hit one button and it just does it. That's it. Even your grandparents could do it. And it's not just me saying it. CNET, Business Insider, The Verge, so many tech journals, they all rate ExpressVPN number one in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust and use my link, expressvpn.com slash hoopball today to get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That is expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Visit expressvpn.com slash hoopball and learn more today. Do we need to talk about Charlotte? We do need to talk about Charlotte because Terry Rozier is the all-timer for buy lows, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He can't be this bad all year long. The steals in particular. Terry, where the hell are your steals? Mason Plumley's on one of his weird little heaters. Uh, another, two guys that I really wanted to talk about on this team is not Plumley and, and Rozier because we've beaten them into the dirt at this point with discussion. It is Mark Williams and Gordon Hayward. Williams only got 15 minutes in this game. He still posted eight points and seven boards. Four turnovers. Oops. And a minus eight. Oops. But you know what? Plumlee was a minus 10. It's not like the other center option was exactly roasting people. Nick Richards did get in for three minutes of garbage time. So what we know now for sure from this game is that Mark Williams has passed Nick Richards in the pecking order. That's something. It's not everything, but it's something. And it means that if anything should befall Mason Plumley, be it foul trouble, injury, whatever, Williams is the guy that jumps into that spot. And we're also seeing here that Mark Williams can pretty consistently post value in extremely limited playing time. That's the really interesting thing here. Over the last two weeks, basically since Williams started playing, he's averaging just 17 and a half minutes per ball game, but he's inside the top 100 in 17 and a half minutes per game. Because he's a big man who's not awful at the free throw line, but has great rebounding and shot blocking prowess. That's a hell of a combo. He also has five steals over his last four ball games. Kind of an interesting little footnote there. Now, do those drop off? Maybe. And if they do, does he fall outside the top 100? Probably. It's almost impossible to post fantasy value in 17 and a half minutes. But if that number ever gets up into the low 20s, Williams becomes a must roster guy. We're close, but we're not there yet. I did stash him in a couple of spots. I have him in a keeper league with this kind of <sighs> fleeting hope that Mason Plumley just gets the hell out of his way. But also, we need to be aware of, like, <sighs> contracts are a thing and team expectations are a thing. But here's another important thing. 
Nathan Plumlee's in the last year of a three-year deal. He's down with Detroit. And so there's a chance that next year, Mark Williams is the man for Charlotte. So if you're looking at this from a keeper standpoint, Williams makes a ton of sense. From a redraft standpoint, not quite as much. And then what about Gordon Hayward? How many times do I need to say he's not rosterable this year? And everybody's like, he's Gordon Hayward. He's playing starters minutes. Yeah, I know. That's why I drafted him in like two of my six or seven Roto Leagues. But I've dropped him in those. I watched him live playing. He looks horrible this year. His field goal percent is a mess. His free throw percent is a mess. I couldn't figure any of this out. You guys might even remember my pod from like the first two weeks of the year where Hayward was averaging like 17 or 18 points and five boards and five assists and one and a half three-pointers, but his field goal percent was like 44 and his free throw was 74. And I thought, all right, well, when those come up and the turnovers come down from two and a half, all of this stuff will level off. Dude, we're in January now. And I know you'd be like, Dan, what about Terry Rozier? Well, Rozier is 50 slots ahead of Gordon Hayward, and there's... And he doesn't actually look bad when he's playing. There's just things aren't going in. Hayward looks physically unwell. I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but I just, I feel like we're going to get to a point at some point this year where they're going to be like, oh yeah, Gordon Hayward's playing through, I don't know, general chunkiness or like, I don't know. But he had two, three, and three on bad percentages with three turnovers in this game. I don't know that you could possibly post a worse line and he did it. You can drop him. It's okay. Cleveland beat Chicago. Good ball game. Kevin Love filling in for Evan Mobley uh, looked really good. Mobley was back at practice, so this feels like it was a a one-time ordeal. Darius Garland might, however, miss a little bit more time, which means you get a couple more decent games, really more points leaguey from Karis LeVert uh, because he's points, boards, and assists, and then usually the percentages are terrible and the turnovers are high and this. Steals and threes are usually not all that high. Not taking the plunge there. No news on the Chicago Bulls, so let's keep moving. Dallas barely beating San Antonio. Luka, what an unbelievable week that Luka Doncic just posted. It's crazy. Oh, man. I know he went 9 for 15 at the free throw line in this ball game, but good Lord, he had a 60-plus point game and a 50-plus point game in the span of a week. That's crazy. Christian Wood had 25. Tim Hardaway Jr. had 14. I'm pretty much only starting Tim Hardaway against bad defenses right now. Christian Wood, I still think if you can sell him for like top 50, you do it. Although the more I'm seeing, as I look online, the more I'm seeing that teams don't value him at top 50 yet. There's got to be somebody out there that might. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I guess it doesn't really matter. (sighs) Try to do it. That's the end point there. Hey, Kelton Johnson, 30 points, two games in a row on good percentages. Could he be coming around? We'll see. Jeremy Sohan, another good ball game here. No Devin Vassell, so that opened up a little bit more stuff for the other regulars to do. Um, and we do, we're continuing to try to figure out what Sohan actually is, fantasy-wise. That I don't fully know yet. And I still, Roto side, I'm not even starting him yet. But I just, like, you kind of have to sit on him to see how this goes. And head-to-head, you play him anyway. And then Jakob Pertl who's finally starting to look a little bit more like Jakob Pertl. Thank goodness. Took us a while to get to this point, but he's top 40 over the last week. He's like top 60 some odd over the last two weeks. The rebounds are better. He had some assists in this one. Free throw shooting's actually been okay lately. That's a lucky break. Uh, 
but the blocks are a little bit better. So a lot of things that we were counting on earlier in the year, uh, they're starting to show themselves, thank goodness. We've uh, New York, it's the same story. Quentin Grimes, he's a go. Emmanuel Quickly, when he's filling in for Brunson, is a go, although Brunson's now back for this ballgame. So my assumption, although it's a blowout, so Quickly might post some numbers anyway. Quickly stayed in the starting lineup for R.J. Barrett now. Um, I don't know if there's going to be enough usage for him with Brunson back in there, but what we saw early in this game, since this one, again, kind of screwing with our internal clocks, was that Brunson was one of the first subs. So that Grimes was out, or quickly, I should say, was out there with only Randall and not Brunson for a stretch. And then he could come back in with Brunson, but not Randall. Uh, so he's not always like the third ball handler on the team. There are multiple stretches available where he's the number two ball handler. And his mitts are still high. So it does look like you can probably stick with quickly a little bit longer, even though Brunson is back. We got the good news that he's going to take R.J. Barrett's spot in the starting five. On the Houston side, they're terrible. They really are terrible. And there's drama. Eric Gordon was complaining about how the team isn't getting any better. I know Detroit is the worst record in the NBA, but I don't know if I've seen a team that looks as bad as the Rockets do night to night. And Detroit is missing their best player. So, I don't know. We can cut them a little bit of slack there. Rockets just stink. I am extremely grateful that I did not draft a single Houston Rocket this year outside of one Alperin Shangun. One. And he's been okay, but not great. That's like the one that you could go, well, at least he hasn't been awful. Indy beat the Clippers. Good ball game. Tyrese Halliburton went nuts late. Miles Turner had a huge one, but he healed at a big one. Uh, over on the other side, Kawhi was dealing with a cold right now. He had a good ball game. Paul George went huge. Norman Powell, 9-5. and five. Didn't get to take that many shots, but was pretty effective when he was on the floor. I think he does need to still be rostered. Uh, and then Ivica Zubat slowed down again, but he played 27 minutes, so I'm inclined to give him a little break. And we'd had three or four good ones in a row prior to this one, so let's see what Zubats does here over the next two or three games and make a call from there. On the indie side, uh, Aaron Neesmith was decent again. He fouled out in 34 minutes, but he was efficient. That's not something you can count on every ball game. The four assists are nice. The block is nice. I have to admit to you guys, I still don't really know what Aaron Neesmith is going to be when all of this is said and done, fantasy-wise. I don't think he's a must-roster guy in Roto Leagues. I think he's a pretty easy guy to throw in your lineup in head-to-head because he's not going to hurt you much. Uh, but I also don't think you'd be kicking yourself because there's not a whole lot of ceiling there. And let's go back to Friday. I think there are a fair number of teams, actually, that didn't play Saturday or Sunday, but I'm not 100% sure. Orlando, uh, they're dealing with all this suspension stuff, so let's just jump over them. At some point, they'll have their guys back, and then we can kind of sort things out. We did get a report, interestingly, that Jalen Suggs and Jonathan Isaac were full participants. It's fine. I know how to talk. Participants in magic practice, but there's still no timetable for Isaac's return. I don't know. I really have no idea what the hell is going on with the Jonathan Isaac stuff. Um, I'm not adding him. They're going to bring him along so terribly slowly. <sighs> I'm also not adding Jalen Suggs. Even if he plays, he's, his fantasy game doesn't translate well at all to nine-category leagues. And then with Jonathan Isaac, like 
once we see him, once we get word that he's playing, then you probably do just squat on him. But like head to head, it's going to be rough. Roto, there's going to be a lot of downtime. Even once he's playing, he's not really going to be playing, playing for a little while. So, yeah. Uh, Toronto, we'll see if Freddie Van Fleet is back. While he's been out, Gary Trent has really stepped up nicely. And the kind of cool story here is that it really only took a couple of decent ball games, and now Trent is number 83 on a per-game basis in nine category leagues. And you could still see his free throw number tick up from where it's at right now. So all of a sudden, he's useful. Cool. And damn it, I tried to warn you guys about Malachi Flynn, but you did it anyway. Lakers beat the falling, the free-falling Atlanta Hawks, 130-121. to LeBron was incredible. Thomas Bryant was wonderful. And then the Lakers got enough out of the other guys. Austin Reeves has fallen on hard times. He has no confidence right now. Shot one of 13. You could see him second-guessing every move he made. The Lakers did a good job here. And, you know, credit to Darvin Ham because he's made some dumb decisions this year while kind of tinkering. He went to longer players in this one. More Juan Toscano-Anderson, more Troy Brown Jr. And that really helped the Lakers defensively, and it really helped the Lakers rebound. That's where they've been getting spanked. Turnovers and rebounds. The turnovers still weren't good. Uh, but they were better than the previous ball game against the Heat. And no, you're not adding Dennis Schroeder. I know he had 12 and 9. Uh, Westbrook is, is points leagues only. Patrick Beverly, no. It's LeBron and Thomas Bryant in category leagues. But just from a how did the Lakers look standpoint, not that awful, actually. I mean, it helps that LeBron had 47 points on 27 shots, but whatever. On the Atlanta Hawks side, uh, DeJounte Murray looked pretty good. Trey has not looked very good lately. And frankly, Trey hasn't looked particularly good all season at this point. Trey Young, as much as he does, he's like, he's turned himself into a little bit of a punt guy. Turnovers super high, field goal percent very low, almost no defensive stats this year. And then the points and assists, they're good. The assists are good. He's at 10. That's nice. But 27 points is not that far above some of the other elite guys anymore. This is a rough year. He's number 54 in 9-cat. Yikes. Oh, well, not a whole lot you can do about it. Hang on to Bogdan Bogdanovich. He's a hold. Dude took 19 shots. No, no, that's an easy call. And then Okongwu, just such an easy play anytime Clint Capella is out. That's a, that's a pretty obvious one. We already talked Detroit-Chicago. Let's keep scanning here, make sure we hit on any teams that we haven't covered so far. And Portland-Golden State, they didn't go over the weekend. There's really nothing to take away from Portland. They're the same team night in and night out. Uh, Gary Payton, the second. Sounds like he's going to play, but they're not going to rush him back into it. I think you can take a wait-and-see approach with him. For the Warriors, Dante DiVincenzo is kind of the only question mark of do we stream him or don't we? And I think the answer right now is uh is still a yes and that is all 30 teams in about 40 minutes all right well we got it done before the rest of the game started that should count for something does it no it doesn't okay sorry about that uh have a great rest of your monday everybody we'll be back with you a little bit earlier i think tomorrow tuesday we'll try to get this shows going at a slightly more normal time um but that'll really begin next week when all of my children are back in school and schedules normalize a little bit your buddy dano has not yet been killed by winter break there is a light at the end of the tunnel i feel like i can get there we'll see okay thanks again for listening everybody happy new year once again we'll talk to you guys tomorrow morning so long